Hello and welcome to Rooted by the River, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. My name is Braylon Lashley and I'm the Associate Pastor of Worship and Youth here at First Baptist. And I am joined by my friend and my brother, a cohort in ministry, Dr. Andrew Bosak. What's up, man? Uh, just good to, good to be with you today. I'm looking forward to it. You are Reverend Lashley. Yes, yes. I saw on your dad's car his license plate, and I am surprising you with this. You need to get a Rev Lash license plate for the state of Tennessee. I think you should that pull that be- off. Awesome. <laughs> I was going to do Rev Lash Jr., but there's too many letters. So but yeah. that'd be pretty cool. People aren't doing Junior anymore. They're doing the second. So you yeah. could be Rev, La- Rev Lash number two or number something two. like that. That would be cool, man. Be cool. I'd like that. Well, good to be with you, man. I'm excited yeah, man. about recording the podcast. And uh, what else is going on with you, man? Anything? Well, um, well, I mean, we've just come off of a summer of just a lot of busyness, a lot of ministry, a lot of things, a lot of irons in the fire, but uh, we are excited for the ramp up in uh, in fall, and the students are going back to school. We're getting back into it. We've got all kinds of upcoming events, so uh, it's just a joy to be in ministry. We were talking about this the other day. We get paid to study, to preach the word, to lead in worship. We get paid to do that every day. It's the greatest thing. It is, man. It is a great and wonderful, humbling calling. And we, a lot of times, will read articles and books on the challenges that we face in ministry. And there certainly are some unique challenges that full-time vocational ministry holds. But with that, we can often miss out on just the blessedness of getting to serve the Lord for a living. And to see God's work through uh, our efforts, there's there's very few things in life that that should and and can and will bring us as much joy. So that's a good word, man. We are certainly blessed and and love that the podcast is a part of our ministry for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just want to dote on our listeners. We are nearing. Uh, 800 plays on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, a little bit uh, more of a step up than just our moms and dads listening. So we want to thank you guys for listening. We want to thank you for uh, just your prayers and your support. And uh, again, as we are going to wrap this podcast up uh, after we go through several different things, uh, I'm going to uh, highlight certain things that are coming up down in the podcast. And so you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, invite people, review. That's the one thing that we really need is uh, reviews. We would love to know what we're doing well and what we're not doing well or what we need to work on. You know, we're always trying to grow. We're always trying to have more rhythm, more flow in our conversation and how we minister to people. So any feedback would be nice, but please keep it polite. So stick around to the end of this podcast and also leave a review for us is what Braylon is saying. So yeah, I want to echo that sentiment. Thank you all for listening. It is our joy to sit here, record, reflect on God's goodness just in general as we think about our church, but also reflecting on the sermon as we typically do. That is the bulk of our our content here on the podcast. So thank you all for listening. And yeah, leave us a review. Give us five stars if you see fit to do so, if you can do so with a clear conscience. And uh, we'll we'll keep recording and, and trust in the Lord with all of this. So that's a good word, man. Yeah, absolutely. You said five stars, and I started to laugh because at our previous church, we had this whole thing with Google reviews. That, that was the big thing for a while, trying to get people to to go on and to review the church and to speak a good word. And uh, there was one lady, precious lady, and uh, she gave us four stars. And it was, I only give you four stars because Jesus was perfect. Only Jesus can have five stars. You're exactly right. That is what she wrote on her Google review. <laughs> so great church, but you're not perfect. Yeah, oh, man. It. I only remember that. Jesus is perfect. That's great. But yes, yeah, we're uh, we're actually uh, really excited. We're 
we've got several things coming down the line in the life of the church that I want to speak to. The first one is the students, like I said, are going back to school. Some have gone back uh, August 1st. I guess that would be today. They went back today, and then others are going back on the 7th. And so we're going to do something uh, as we normally do or start trying to do. I've only been here a year. So uh, we're going to do a back-to-school bash on uh, not this Wednesday, but the next Wednesday. We're going to start at 6.30. We're going to be over in the Student Center. I've got one of my youth leaders cooking up some Boston butts, going to have some pulled pork. I would ask that uh, you guys bring a dessert or side to share. We're going to have the drinks. We're going to just laugh. We're going to have a good time together, fellowship. But we're also going to be intentional about voicing what we desire out of this year, what we want to see uh, in the life of the church, in uh, our own personal lives, and uh, and how God is going to move. And we're going to uh, intentionally lift each other up in prayer. So very excited about that. For the purposes of my personal calendar, and I fully intend to meander on over for the pulled pork, that is Wednesday, August 9th. Do I have that correct? Yes, that is correct. All right. I will mark that down. And old Pastor Andrew is going to have to make the journey across the parking lot uh, for the spiritual part of praying for a good year for the youth, et cetera, you know, whatever. But uh, pulled pork, man, I'm in. Yeah, Dr. Bosak does not skimp out on that celebratory eating, man. It's like your sixth sense, man. You're like, wait, somebody's got some food? A sanctified Baptist spidey sense. That is the greatest. uh, Somebody coined that right now. (laughs) There's food somewhere. I can feel it, man. That's it. Oh, my gosh. That's so great. So you got the back to school bash coming up, man. Very good. We have also, and we've started signups for the men's conference. We're excited about that coming in a few weeks. That is August 25th and 26th, that Friday night, Saturday morning. Todd Brady, our guest speaker, wonderful man, great preacher, excited about uh, having him. We're teaming up with Sharon Baptist Church. You and uh, music guy out there, Jeremy, have been working on the music, which is going to be awesome. I saw, and I believe I have this technical term squared away as far as music goes, the set list. Do I have that correct? Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, I always have a question about the order of service. It's on Planning Center, Preacher. Check out the set list. Anyways, I'm getting the lingo down. Y'all have been working on the music, and uh, preaching's going to be great. We're going to be reflecting on just the spiritual battle, the responsibility that men have in leadership, both in the church and in their homes, and what it means to put on and wear and be in this constant battle with the armor of God. We're going to eat well, both uh, spiritual food and literal food. Looking at a fish fry that Friday night. So we're going to have a great time. You can sign up on the website. The cost is 30 bucks, And uh, that just goes to augment some of the uh, food cost. And uh, that's that's helpful in that. So we're going to have door prizes, great food, great preaching, great music, fellowship for the glory of God. Men, you are going to want to sign up. So check out the website for more details. And uh, that'll be here before we know it. Yeah, absolutely. I got old Rev Lash playing bass for us, man. That's going to be the stuff. Oh, special guest, Rev Lash. Rev Lash. That's awesome, man. I love so it. So good. Maybe I he'll wear it. his pop-pop hat, man. We'll see what happens, man. I always love yeah, when your dad makes an appearance, Absolutely. Man. Absolutely. But so yeah. speaking, speaking of music, uh, we have uh, started a new month. That means that we have a new song of the month. I wonder if you could tell us about what it is and why you picked the song of the month you did for August. Yeah, so I believe we talked briefly about it last podcast, but the song of the month for August is called Firm Foundation by Cody Carnes. And uh, I think, as I said last week, it's going to be kind of the bedrock song that's going to, you know, push us into the fall. You know, whenever we think about what songs are we going to do in worship what songs really are going to not only push us towards a deeper sense and reflection of Christ, but also uh, give us a sense of unity, give us a sense of, of energy, right? Because we're singing these truths. Well, I can't think of a better song to push us into the fall than a song about firmly founding your faith in Christ, And so that's really the whole essence of that song is that Christ is my firm foundation. And 
regardless of circumstance, regardless of how I feel, regardless of any kind of familial situation, anything, the, the world, the politics, all of it, Christ is still my firm foundation. And that is where I cling. That is where I latch myself onto and ground myself because that's how I will not be shaken is by being firmly f- grounded in Christ. So I'm really excited about this one. Uh, kind of hits a little bit on um, the parable of the two men, the one that built his house upon sand and then the one that built his house upon the rock. And uh, so the bridge is really talking about uh, rains came, winds blew, but my eyes were fixed on you. Uh, and all of these these things that we're singing, ultimately pointing us to Christ and also stating these truths that our faith is firmly grounded in Christ and Christ alone. So I'm really excited about it. We started this Sunday. You can see all of those songs of the month on uh, our website. And uh, there's a link in the worship portion on the website, but there's also a tab that says song of the month. So you can go on, you can see the YouTube links, you can see all the ones that we've done in the past. So I would encourage you guys to invest and to start singing along with those. I would be amiss if I didn't say the A.W. Tozer quote that I always quote, if you're not ready to worship, you're not ready for heaven. And we as Christ followers want to be ready for heaven. So Let's uh, cling to this song and the truth within, and uh, let's sing it for the glory of God and to God. Amen to that. And familiarizing yourself with the music beforehand is something that is so helpful. I was just jamming out to the song in my office, and it's difficult to learn new music. I love the repetitive nature, the song of the month. We sing it you know, at least four times, sometimes five and by the end of it, we're singing by memory. We know it. It's, it's able to travel from our head to our heart and really be formative and worshipful. So I do. I encourage somebody, uh, if you're like me, man, maybe you, you struggle with the music, struggle to, to catch on. Man, even if you don't use these tools that Braylon has provided on the website, familiarize yourself with the new music and use it again, big picture as a mechanism to prayerfully prepare for Sunday morning anyway. And uh, it shouldn't be an afterthought. It shouldn't be just a part of the schedule. It should be something that we are anticipating, a corporate encounter with God. That's what Sunday morning is is to be all about. So use it as a mechanism to prayerfully prepare your heart and also your mind as you familiarize yourself with the new music. So, so looking forward to the song of the month and to know that the Lord will bless it in a wonderful way. Amen. Amen. We're going to switch gears now, and we're going to talk about your sermon from Sunday, which, well done. Again, you have started to implement props. And I think it was uh, really one of the things that you've used props on and off before, but I, I think what is really been cool to see is you kind of gleaned that from one of the preachers that we saw last year at the the Tennessee Baptist Convention, oh, uh, Bartholomew Orr. Which I'm sure he's listening. And, he uh, is. Bar- he's an avid listener. Bartholomew, if you're listening. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I appreciate a good object lesson. It's helpful to have those those triggers, those memory triggers. And uh, I, I watched him on the Southern Baptist Convention stage flip over a little toy table. And one of the, the ones that stuck out in my mind, just watching him preach, he had a ceramic camel. I think we've even talked about this on the podcast on his pulpit and he's dropping straws on the camel, something about the straw that broke the camel's back. So I don't know that I'm going to quite get there, but yeah, I've been enjoying some object lessons that are helpful for me. I think they're helpful for people. I've done an Etch-A-Sketch where I think I had somebody etch sin on there and we shook it, you know, just to talk about how Jesus has done away with our sin and someone has <laughs> some Someone in the uh, in the audience, you know, yelled out, "Shake my heart, Jesus!" or something like that. So, oh my gosh, it yes. was good. We enjoyed that. I had a loaf of bread a couple weeks ago, and I had a pill bottle this week. So, been working on those object lessons, man. I found them helpful, and I think uh, some folks in the in the pew have found them helpful as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but just again, spot on. Spot on. We're continuing in our study, uh, an expositional verse by verse in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, and you spoke extensively from 
uh, portion of uh, Matthew chapter 16. So I wonder if you could talk briefly about what you covered, give us kind of a brief overview of what you did, and then we're going to jump into some questions. There are some texts that essentially preach themselves. Some, you read it and you have to to do a little bit more study and, and prep and historical context, diving into the nuances, the languages, et cetera, et cetera. And they're a little bit more difficult to preach. And then, like I said, there are some that you read it and it just preaches itself. And that was the case this past Sunday, Matthew 16, 13 through 20. Jesus brought the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, essentially a place that no Jew, no self-respecting Jew would come to because of the dark, demonic, pagan, polytheistic worship that was just such a highlight of life uh, in that particular part of the ancient Near East. There was just all kinds of depravity taking place, particularly in in the the temple court. They had a temple to Caesar. They had a temple to the Greek god Pan. They had a temple to Zeus, and there's all kinds of craziness happening there. But Jesus brought his disciples there, I think, as as kind of a highlight of the darkness and the demonic activity that they were going to begin uh, to push back on when the church was established. But Jesus began that discussion with the most important question ever asked. It's, I mean, it's, it just, again, it preaches, preaches itself. Jesus asked his disciples, who do other people say that I am? Probably in reference to those that they had encountered, Pharisees and Sadducees, his family in the past, but also other Jews and the, the Greeks and the, uh, the Gentiles that were involving themselves in either the, the Roman pantheon, the Greek pantheon of gods and man. And who, who do others say that I am? And the disciples were polite. And they said, you know, Old Testament prophets, you know, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. But we know that others had called him a hypocrite. Some had called him, you know, demonized. His family called him crazy. So there, there are others, you know, that mentioned uh, their thoughts and feelings on the identity of Jesus. But then the, the most important question ever asked, who do you say that I am? And that's the question that we all must come to grips with. And it's the question that we were seeking to ask and answer this past Sunday. And it was my my proposition based on the, the teaching of Jesus that as we acknowledge Jesus for who he is, Peter spoke up for the group. He was normally the spokesman. Many times he spoke out of turn. This time he was spot on, said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And to acknowledge that that reality must lead us to a personal repentance and embracing of his lordship in salvation. So answering that question, who do you say that I am, is the reality that leads us to the place of recognizing our need for him. And then when Jesus responds to Peter, there's so many theological realities, so many different theological paths that we could have followed the keys of the, the kingdom and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and loosed on earth, loose in heaven. And there's so much aspects of, of truth there we could have gone down and followed, but we just took the, the line of thinking that uh, Jesus identified Peter as Peter correctly identified Jesus. Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus proclaimed a a blessing on, on Peter. And he said, you are Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Basically to lean into the way God identifies us as we identify Christ as Lord and Savior. There's so many different voices that we uh, make the mistake of leaning into when it comes to our, our identity. The world says we're something, our feelings say we're something, and we can lean into that, and we can be discouraged and down and, and struggling if we listen to those voices. My encouragement was to listen to the voice of Jesus. You are a child of God This is who God says you are. Lean into that voice. Find your identity 
in Jesus's response as you correctly identify him as the Messiah, Lord and King and personal Savior of your life. So, man, it was a it was a, a powerful Sunday, man. The Spirit moved, and again, it was one of those texts that preached itself, and I was just uh, privileged to be a part of the way that that God used it. Amen. Yeah. Uh, again, just very convicting, uh, very thought provoking. And, uh, there's a couple of questions that arose out of that talking about the object lesson. I love the pill bottle and, uh, I love the quote about you have been given the cure to this illness, this sickness, this disease, and some just don't take it. And then some do take it, but they live like they are still sick. Yeah, we use that as, again, kind of an object lesson and uh, recognizing who Jesus is without personalizing his lordship is like having a cure to a, a disease and choosing not to take it. I mean, that's just how it is. And uh, and man, I'm afraid, and we have biblical basis for it, that narrow is the way so many people that hear the gospel realize their need, even maybe mentally uh, accept that Jesus did die on the cross, and yet they stop short of making that commitment to Christ. Man, it's like leaving that pill bottle full and choosing to remain sick. Yeah, absolutely. I know that just practically in in, a, in the biblical example, I, I know we went through uh, a study in the Book of Acts on Sunday in Sunday school with youth, and uh, Paul is talking to one of the governors, I believe, and he is conversing with him and he makes Paul go away because he's starting to feel convicted. So he knows, he acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He acknowledges that Jesus is who he needs, but he doesn't like that conviction. And so he's he has Paul go away and they actually converse for, uh, I think, I believe a number of years uh, just on and on. Uh, so anyways, great, great, uh, great lesson, both biblically and, you know, in the modern day. And what we talked about actually leans into this first question, talking about an acknowledgement of Jesus. And so I want to ask you, there are some that would say, all I have to do is acknowledge that Jesus was who he says he was, that he was crucified, that he's the son of God, that he was raised uh, on the third day. And that's it. That's all you need for belief. Because you, if you just want to get a, out of hell for free, then, hey, let's acknowledge Jesus as our savior. Does simple acknowledgement of Jesus and his person constitute as salvific belief? I'm drawing a blank on the specific reference. I think it's James 2, but we can we can just say uh no, the demons believe and tremble. You know, the the demons have to acknowledge who Jesus is and they do. And obviously they aren't redeemed, they aren't saved, they aren't set free, and that's what James is pushing back against. They even will acknowledge who Jesus is and they will not be able to, uh, you know, personalize his Lordship. That's the James two nineteen, and they believe and they tremble. Now at the same time, we don't want to overcomplicate what is still simple. And while there are some aspects of the gospel that man thinking in a theological sense and deeper, it, it can get uh, difficult to understand. We were actually talking briefly about the nature of the atonement before we started. And boy, that can become a, a deep and even weedy conversation. And yet at the same time, the gospel is, is so simple. So while acknowledgement isn't enough, we don't want to make complicated what God has made simple. And as we always do, we turn to the Bible itself. Romans 10, 9 says this, because if you confess with your mouth, confession, that Jesus is the Lord, again, recognizing his lordship and believe, and here's the, the key, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says it's more than 
belief. It says believe in your heart. So there's that aspect of, of, and the deepest part of your being is what that is. That's what the heart there in, in the Greek represents, that deepest part of who you are. You are accepting and acknowledging and acting upon the Lordship of Christ. This is just not recognizing that, yes, Jesus died on the cross. This is personalizing it. And uh, Paul to the Romans says, you have to believe, you have to accept, acknowledge, and act upon in your heart, again, in that deepest part of your being. So we could maybe summarize all of that as a, that is a conviction. So there's a confession there that you have to confess with your mouth, and there's that deeply held conviction in the, that part of your being that we describe as your heart that Jesus is the Lord. And that kind of leads us to the place of this commitment. This is not just an acknowledgement. This is a commitment to Christ. This is a giving of our lives. This is our giving ourselves over to the Lordship of Jesus. And there would be no confession. There would be no conviction through just a mental acknowledgement of so it begins with an acknowledgement of salvation begins with this, this enlightenment, this spiritual revelation that God brings to us. Jesus said that no man comes to me unless the Father first draws him. What God does through the person and power of the Holy Spirit is he shows us our need for Jesus by revealing to us the nature of our sin. We have to acknowledge what Jesus did as he came to this life, or to this world, and he lived the life that uh, none of us could, and he died to the death that all of us deserve. So we acknowledge that with our mind, but then we respond in repentance, turning from our sin, letting that aspect of that conviction lead us to do so, and then we confess with our mouth, and we lead in the way that that becomes that aspect of how we direct our lives, and that can be summarized that that salvation is not just acknowledgement, but it is a full commitment through confession and conviction of who Christ is personally. It is uh, very saddening when certain people would say, you don't have to make Jesus your Lord to be saved. And that is just simply not biblical in any sense. Uh, I know that I've had discussions with those that would say that lordship salvation is unbiblical, but I struggle to see where they get their uh, that credibility or validity of that claim from, because everywhere in Scripture it says that he is the Lord. You even take the the woman caught in adultery. You know, we would we would say that we are recognizing and we are seeing the moment of her conversion. And in her response to Jesus, when he says to her, when, you know, the, the people who are condemning her drop their rocks and, and leave, Jesus says, who, who here left is condemning you? And she says, no one, Lord. She says, no one, Lord. She acknowledges him as Lord. So the Bible very clearly teaches a lordship salvation. And to her, he says, go and sin no more. And this is something that we must see over and over again, that in these salvific moments, both through biblical example and biblical teaching, that, that Christ becomes Lord, the Lord of our life. And the Bible very clearly teaches a lordship salvation. Yeah, I know John MacArthur, I, actually, I was reading one of his books, and uh, he references another one of his books talking about Lordship salvation and how he biblically um, validates the concept of lordship salvation. So, uh, probably on the next podcast, I will have that book title for you all. Uh, let's move on here. We discussed briefly that, you know, we talked about the atonement, we talked about with salvation and coming to Christ. You spoke on Sunday morning about just a very simple gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ. You went from uh, his birth, sinless life, crucifixion, resurrection, the call uh, to come to Christ. And, and I know growing up in church, if you've grown up in church for an extended period of time, 
uh, or been in church for an extended period of time, then the gospel message can seem very simple. Sometimes it can become repetitive. Sometimes it can become mundane. And I'd be, I'll be honest, and, and that's kind of happened to me sometimes and saying, okay, well, I know this already. It's the, I've checked this off of my knowledge list. Why do I have to keep thinking about it again? But it's so crucial to go back and to remember it. And I wonder if you could speak briefly about the gospel message being such a simple message and how you how it's communicated, yet it has such robust depth within, and it stretches his sinless life, the fulfillment of prophecy, the atoning work of Christ, and what that entails, uh, the resurrection, why he was resurrected, why why did he have to be raised up on the third day? Why did he raise himself up on the third day? What is it? What's why is that the the crux of uh, as Paul says, the crux of our faith, because if he didn't raise from the dead, then everything else would be for nothing. So I wonder if you could talk about the simplicity of the concept of the gospel, yet the profound robustness of the gospel. This is why the gospel remains significant and an imperative aspect of a Christ follower's life, that the gospel doesn't become obsolete once somebody is saved. We are to continually recognize the realities of the gospel, to let them shape our lives, that our identity as a Christ follower is is built upon that foundation and it's something that we must continue to run back to and be thankful for and preach to ourselves that Christ died for us. And yes, as you, as you mentioned, these truths, while eternally significant and even in the mind of God into eternity past for us as we live our day-to-day can become tired and mundane and boring when it's something that we should be astounded by continually in awe of the reality that Christ came to this earth. First Corinthians 15, three and four, I mean, just so simplifies it for us. It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance, what I also received. So Paul to the letter at the church of Corinth, remember this is a letter to a church. This is what is the, the most important reality that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So again, the gospel is so simple that Jesus came to this earth. He lived a sinless life acceptable to God. He died a vicarious death, the sins of the world placed upon him. He died. He rose again the third day and he is alive forevermore. And yet the personal nature of that is obviously personally imperative. But in a general sense, you mentioned some of those theological realities that are in a sense between the lines in that, that, okay, Christ died for our sins. Well, for that sentence to be written down, there had to be an incarnation. He had to be born. He had to live. You think about the incarnation, man, the the reality that that God became man and yet was fully man and fully God. That's a, a pool that is so deep we could swim in forever to think about the fact that, that God, Philippians 2 covers this, humbled himself to the place where he came to this, to this earth. And Philippians even says, this mind you should have. So when we think about the realities of our life in Thinking about the gospel, we are met with the reality of the incarnation that God humbled himself. He came to this earth and not just to live, but to die. And so many Christ followers struggle with the sin of pride. So as we reflect on the gospel, we think about God became man to die on the cross for our sins. It helps us to deal with the sin of pride as Jesus is our example of the most humble act that has ever crossed the horizon of this world, that God came to the place he created 
to rescue the ones who are responsible with breaking what he made for his glory. So if he did that, then boy, I can sure humble myself in my day-to-day life. I can, you know, show grace to people because of the grace of God, the unmerited favor, this incredible, eternally significant kindness of God that we don't deserve that he showed us in Christ. So there's so many of those kinds of realities when it comes to our life of faith, our walk with Christ that are directly impacted by these different aspects of the gospel that we are told to take up our cross. That's that's the cost of discipleship. We are told to take up our cross. Our cross is not some inhibiting factor of our existence. You know, it's not, and I've heard people, it's not like asthma. It's my cross. I gotta, gotta bear this up. No, that is an instrument of death. I am to die to myself. So as I receive the the aspect of forgiveness and salvation based upon the death of Jesus Christ, as I live out my day today, each day, take up your cross daily, the gospel says, and we are to recognize that it's this kind of selflessness, the same kind of selflessness that Jesus showed, so he died on the cross for us, If this is the same kind of selflessness that we are to live with today. I mean, he was buried and raised on the third day. Philippians 3 tells us that we are to know the power of his resurrection. So we could go on and on about the simplicity of the gospel and yet these almost nuanced theological realities between the lines that are supposed to be impactful for us on a Monday and on a Tuesday. And not these aren't just Sunday realities. So we should know the gospel. We should know the gospel in its simplicity in order to share it. We should know the gospel in its complexity in order for those different aspects that the Bible teaches are integral for our sanctification and our success as we seek to be fruitful and faithful Christ followers on a day-to-day basis. So we could go on and on. We don't necessarily want to fill up the memory on your computer and make this podcast three hours long. But yes, the gospel is simple, but robust and relevant for us, no matter if we've known Jesus For six minutes or 60 years, the gospel matters significantly for our success day to day as we seek to be fruitful and faithful in our walk with Jesus. That's great. I like it. You mentioned in your sermon, uh, talking specifically about Peter being commissioned, being the rock in which the church will be built upon, obviously, uh, Christ being the chief cornerstone, but then Peter obviously being instrumental in uh, the book of Acts when he is preaching to the masses to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus and have, what, 3,000 people come to to faith in Christ that day. So building the church from there and then just seeing that outpouring happen. There are some, specifically the Roman Catholic Church, that say that they can trace their lineage of their church and specifically their popes back to Peter. Costi Hinn and For the Gospel, on their website, they have a whole series devoted to Roman Catholicism, and uh, inevitably that question comes up. Um, They have several different people that came out of Roman Catholicism, and uh, so they're able to speak into what certain denominations believe, and then what the Bible clearly teaches. So this is the last question. In the context of your sermon, Matthew 16, you showed a picture, and you showed a picture of the Temple of Zeus and uh, Temple of Pan. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And uh, basically said that people brought their children, their family members there, because they wanted a, a bountiful crop. They wanted to even have children. They wanted fertility, they, all this different stuff, and they would literally sacrifice their own children and family members. And then there was a cave behind one of the temples, the Temple of Pan, and they believed that was the gateway 
to hell itself. And that's where Pan lived, right? So they would kill and sacrifice and they would throw them in there so that they could be get what they wanted. And you talked about how modern day there are things that we worship and that we sacrifice for. And oftentimes, a lot of times, it takes the place of sacrificial love and worship and adoration for Christ. I wonder if you could speak a little bit, what are some things that there could be some outside the church and some inside the church, whichever you prefer. What are some things that we worship today that can be on the same type of level uh, of sacrifice as back in the day of sacrificing to Pan? So the text that we were preaching on begins with the the place that that Jesus brought his disciples to Caesarea Philippi and it's so significant this temple mound like you mentioned it is uh, doing any kind of historical study on that is just so revealing of why Jesus brought his disciples there as he mentioned there is the cave mouth there is the temple to Caesar that was built later there's this re- reality that they were worshiping the Greek pantheon with the temple to Zeus and Pan and and yes, the incredible deviant, depraved acts that would be uh, lived out there in in act uh, in acting out this pagan polytheistic worship, and yeah, the the cave mouth was seen as the gate to the underworld. So I I believe Jesus brought him there for the moment of you see everything here this this representation of Rome's power, kind of a militaristic. Uh, politics, government kind of rule. And then you see this Greek pantheon of gods that so many people thought was so crucial and so important for their success. And he, he said this, this cave mouth was called the, the, essentially the gates of hell. He said the gates of hell, all of this will not be able to prevail against my church. My church will be victorious over this. And Jesus was proclaiming that the most important institution, the most important reality of life is being a part of of Christ's kingdom and his church and in the the realm of of his gifts and grace through salvation in his name. And I look at that picture and I did, I, I saw just representations of some of the idols and some of the the hindrances that even Christ followers can have in affirming their allegiance to Christ alone. And you ask some specifics. I mean, I think today one of the the gods, little g gods that so many people in our society worship to include Christians is politics, is the government, is, is falling at the feet of people and institutions in Washington, D.C. for, uh, for life and for joy, man, if, if my political power isn't the one that's president or in control of the Senate, or, you know, if there's others on the Supreme Court, and don't get me wrong, we, we want to be good citizens, we want to vote, we want to be godly in the way that we uh, love the United States and are patriotic and want to see our country thrive and, and, yeah, return to good, wholesome, biblical values that it was founded on, certainly. But Man, if my day is ruined by a political decision, if my joy has been stolen by something stupid that a politician has said, then perhaps I need to check my heart and maybe I'm giving too much allegiance and authority to simply other people. And yeah, are there, uh, is there aspects of, of those decisions bearing on our lives? Yeah, just look at the gas prices. But at the same time, we need to recognize that that the ultimate authority is Christ. And more than complaining about politicians, the Bible teaches us that we should be praying for them. So we need to check our heart and say, okay, are we allowing more authority to be given to these people in our hearts and uh, recognizing, man, are, are these idols that I might have in my life? And just, we could go down the list and, man, I think there's the God of self 
that uh, basically people make decisions based upon the way that they feel, irregardless of what the Bible says, uh, how I feel directs my life. And uh, it's kind of that, that Disney mentality, singing about follow your heart, well, your heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? Man, that's a dangerous business. We need to recognize that, that we are, in a sense, deifying ourselves. And man, there's other aspects of, of our society and our culture that people are, yes, worshiping different idols and different gods. And, you know, we might get some one-star ratings after this, but man, people worship the God of sports. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I've mentioned it before, but there's a video uh, on YouTube. You can look up David Platt and you could just search David Platt and Google and sports, David Platt sports, and man, it'll come up. And he talks about just the passion and enthusiasm that people have for their sports team. And then the just lackluster, lack of passion, emotionless way that people stumble into the sanctuary on a Sunday morning as if nothing important is going to happen. The day before, face painted a screaming at this coliseum and then stumbling into church uh, again as if nothing important is going to take place. So uh, at the risk of getting some one-star ratings, I think uh, sports is a idol in the days in which we live. Money is something that we need and we should pursue in a way that glorifies God, certainly. Um, we want to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us. But man, I think people uh, worship and, and bend the knee to the God of money. So man, there's so many different ways that we can get off base and we can become idolatrous when anything, you know, receives our affections and is given authority to direct our heart and impact our joy. I don't got to be happy about, you know, pumping three, $3.50 a gallon of gas. I can be upset about that, but that shouldn't steal my joy. If it does, I need to check my heart. So again, there's so many different ones that we can we can go down into, but yeah, it's just something that, that we need to recognize that these aren't just kind of peripheral aspects of our lives that no, these things can very easily become things that direct my life. And yes, at the sacrifice of our, our, of our children, in a sense, um, how many children are literally sacrificed to the God of self? I hate to even be that blunt about it, but that's just the reality. Um, how many literal children are sacrificed to the God of self today? How many children are put in the crosshairs of misprioritizing Christ because of the emphasis that we put on sports? Yeah, I, I think these things are valid and need attention, and we should recognize them truly for what they are. I agree. I agree. Even those that uh, desire and crave power and authority, uh, a title, some meaning, when they walk in the room, they, oh, that, that person's so awesome. That that's a hindrance to the, to their children as well. So just spot on, really. Let me mention one thing about the sports because we we're, we're going to wrap this podcast up. We're going to go about our lives, and then we are going to play softball tonight. Right? We got a doubleheader. We got a First Baptist Church softball team. We are excited about it. So just playing sports not a bad thing, uh, but we need to recognize what what we are doing. Now, we, we are out there to have a strong testimony, playing softball for the glory of God. Uh, we want to win. We try to compete, but winning isn't everything. And uh, we can involve ourselves in those things for the glory of God, but managing them well with a biblical worldview and a priority list determined by God. Uh, so we're going to play softball. We're going to have a good attitude. We're going to seek to show the difference Jesus makes in our lives out in the community playing softball. We can play sports. Our kids can play sports. Uh, but when it 
when it comes to church, we should tell the coach, hey, we might be late to practice. We're going to be at church. I think that's one of the ways we can push back against this sports becoming an idol. And yet, yes, still involving ourselves in sports. Uh, I root for the Braves. It just so happens that they're the best team in the major leagues to all them Cardinals fans listening out there. Go Braves, right? And yet at the same time, when the Braves lose, it shouldn't ruin my day. It's a good peripheral part of my life that I enjoy. I wear a Braves hat. I root. And yes, whether it's politically correct or not, I still do the tomahawk chop and so do my kids. But when things go poorly, man, it's just a game. It's just sports. And we can involve ourselves in it without it becoming an idol. I think it's important for us to make that clear and, uh, and yeah, to manage these things well. Biblical worldview and a priority list managed by God himself through his word. Yeah. Uh, we don't have time to, to talk about my kind of uh, realization that sports had become an idol in my life, but uh, it did involve Alabama football. So, you know, I like Alabama football, but even that it is a, it's purely a sport. It's temporal in its nature. It will pass away. Let's focus on the eternal mindset of Christ and and put him as the, the top priority in everything that we do. This has been Rooted by the River, the official podcast of First Baptist Church, Savannah, Tennessee. We've got several things, again, coming down the line. We've got uh, the Back to School Bash. We've got a men's conference. We've got whitewater rafting for the youth. We've got all kinds of things coming down. Uh, visit our website, plug in, sign up. Be a part of what God is doing here at First Baptist. We've got several things coming down the line, including a listener question and answer session, and Dr. Clay Hallmark is going to call in, and he's going to talk about his uh, new book on the heart of church revitalization, uh, a much-needed topic in this day and age. So you don't want to miss out. Again, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. I've embedded everything on the website as well. Go to the media section. Go to Rooted by the River podcast. It'll shoot you over. You can see it all. You can play it all. Make sure you are liking, you are subscribing, you're following, you're rating, giving us reviews. Let us know what's going well, what things we can work on. Um uh, we just want to use this ministry the best way we can, the most effective way that we can, and it needs to all point back to our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. We hope you have a great day. This has been Rooted by the River. We will see you next time.